Hello and welcome to the TES podcast, the world's leading education policy podcast that is non-language learning. Um, I am Richard Vaughan, the host of the TES podcast. I'm joined today by John Severs. Hello, John. Hello. Ed Doyle. Hello, Ed. Hello. And Ellie Busby. Hello, Ellie. Hello. Right. So it's, uh, again, another busy week in education, although not as busy as it has been. There seems to be a little, little bit of a lull. Um, but there's been stories nonetheless. Um, one that stands out, let's talk about, what should we talk about? Let's talk about Ofsted. And, hey, Ofsted. Everyone loves Ofsted. And Second Division... Uh, second Division uh, Education Standards. Well, you wrote the story, Richard, but uh, Michael Warshaw, not content with having a profit just about everyone, on Tuesday. Tuesday, yeah. Decided uh, he was going to pop have a pop at the East Midlands. That kind of amorphous group of counties and local <laughs> authorities that is the East Midlands. Yes, uh, he's going through a bit of hot water about it, actually. Um, people. More, well, he said that the East Midlands basically is the worst performing region in the country for education standards, right across the board, uh, nursery, primary schools and secondary schools. Um, and he, he even used a football, um, yes. uh, well, not a pun, but he used a football analogy, didn't he? Um, we said Leicester may well be Premier League champions. Oh, yes. Yeah. But their schools are decidedly second division, <laughs> which doesn't really make any sense because there is no second division anymore. Good <laughs> <laughs> League One. Yeah, exactly. Well, championship, I suppose. But um, but anyway, so um, he, he got into a bit of hot water with the unions who said it's not really helping, saying these schools aren't very good. But isn't that his job to say, to call out where underperformance is? Um, yeah, is I, I, guess the, I guess the really interesting thing is that the East Midlands is a big place. Yeah. And uh, there's lots of schools in the East Midlands. And uh, there are lots, I think you ran the data earlier, didn't you, Richard? Uh, there are lots of schools that are very good in the East Midlands. Indeed. And there are some schools that are less good. And in that way, it's no different to any other uh, region. Yeah, it's true. And, uh, you know, it just seems uh, pretty unlikely to me and to, frankly, lots of people that there is something uh, that all the schools in the East Midlands have in common that is resulting in a weird systemic underperformance mm. at that kind of macro level. But you wrote your leader about it this week, didn't you, Ed? Yeah, I, I used all sorts of lovely football metaphors and uh, I stretched, uh, as I said, <laughs> I stretched Michael Wilshaw's non-secretor, which is... Uh, to the nth degree. To the nth degree, <laughs> exactly. Um, but the point the point is um, it, it's odd to highlight one large region um, when there aren't any I wouldn't say any commonalities that unite all the schools in that region and it's even frankly weirder to highlight the fact that Leicester City Football Club's doing well yes. and the schools aren't yeah. and there's absolutely no relationship between the two absolutely and you know we might give them an award for the Alan Partridgeism of the week indeed um in a kind of Alan Partridge attempt of segueing into the next uh, uh, item. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's Leicester City with Jamie Vardy, who's playing in the European uh, Championships this Saturday. That leads us to foreign teachers, <laughs> which is um, yes, migration exactly. Um, this week's uh, lead story um, is is about foreign teachers. This rather 
strange, I would say, policy that the Home Office has introduced. Uh, they've kind of, out of thin air from what I can tell, come up with an arbitrary uh, salary threshold for any non-EU uh, worker of £35,000. If you're not earning over that after five years, you have to leave the country. Um, our main story is on it this week. Who wrote it, Richard? It's funny you asked that. It was me. Um, it's just, you know, one one of many strings to my bow, um, as well as presenting podcasts badly. Um, the, uh, the, uh, the story goes that um, the Home Office has agreed to look at teaching as to whether or not it should be a shortage occupation and therefore exempt from the new rules. And this is the weird thing, isn't it? I mean, let, let's be clear. The Home Office is trying to decide if teaching is a shortage subject. Yes. A shortage profession. Yeah. I mean, anyone, my mum knows that teaching, there's a recruitment crisis. Sure. You don't need an analysis to tell them, surely. Well, you say that, but this is government, so you always need analysis. Um, they did the same with nursing, and they came to the conclusion that, surprise, surprise, that's a shortage occupation. But having said that, Ed, um, we have got good word um, from within the DfE itself that they think it's highly unlikely that um, teaching is going to be included on the shortage occupation list, meaning possibly thousands of uh, foreign-born teachers could be made to leave the country at a time of a recruitment crisis. Honestly, who doesn't love joined up government? <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, what does the profession have to do to not be in crisis? Absolutely. It is kind of staggering, though. I mean, it's been opposed by pretty much every head teacher, every uh, union head teachers and uh, teacher teacher unions. Um, just saying, you know, at a time when we've had the worst um, teacher supply um, shortage for what. 10, 15 years, possibly no more. Yeah, no longer. They're now saying that if you if you uh, don't earn over thirty five grand um, and you were born outside the EU, you have to leave. Um, it is just well, it strikes me as being a bit insane. Yeah, yeah. story though. Indeed. Uh, thank you very much. Um, on to another very um, thorny issue: pay. Yeah. And I guess it's kind of linked to the recruitment crisis because um, at the moment we're, it's looking like the school teachers review body won't report till after the EU referendum, um, which will mean that um, basically teachers could miss out on pay um, awards till kind of December time, Christmas time. And that's supposed to, the, the whole point of the school teachers review, review body is to set pay, but also look at recruitment and retention and how to mm. get more teachers interested if they don't know what their pay is going to be or um, or that there's going to be delays that's going to put people off. Well, yeah, I mean, so this is another example of join-up government or, or lack of join-up government. Yeah, pretty much. So this is because... Uh, are they not allowed to do it because of PERDA, or is it just yeah. a decision that's been made? Yeah, we, the unions have been told um, by the department that it won't happen until after PERDA because, yeah, um, if they release anything during PERDA, that could, you know, risk things. But, mm. But the unions think that's a bit ridiculous. I don't see how it's linked necessarily to the EU referendum. But it also raises concerns amongst them of thinking, well, there, there must be something in there that's either controversial or um, that teachers aren't going to like, and so they're holding it back. So there is a bit of concern about that as well. Well, there might, might be something nasty in there. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So, so they actually don't know what... They don't know what's going to be in there. Um, 
the government, Nikki Morgan, said what she thinks should be in there, which is a cap of kind of 1% mm-hmm. um, pay rise. Um, but she also wants flexibilities. And one of the proposals she wants is to be able to move teachers from the um, upper pay scale down back to the main pay scale. Which is a concern, right? I imagine it is a massive yeah, concern. That's a concern. You can't see that if you're a teacher. Absolutely, it's kind of le- uh, leads to the, the the previous story we were talking about as well because they were saying that the, the chances of a teacher getting to thirty five k within five years. So, say if you've just graduated, you know, you may have come over as a foreign student or whatever. Do your PGCE and then five years time getting to thirty five k? They say it's just not going to happen because pay is completely stagnated. Yeah. Hmm. So. It seems the EU referendum is kind of putting the kibosh on everything at the moment. The government does seem very quiet, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, we had the craziest of crazy weeks, or several weeks, until about... Until the run-up, yeah, indeed, funnily enough. Uh, And since then, it has gone suspiciously quiet, including waiting for the uh, new Ofsted chief inspector. Yes, um, we're getting word that the recommendation has been made, but it's... uh, in number 10 and the grid masters i.e. the people who who decide what goes in and what goes out in terms of um, government announcements uh, has got complete lockdown because of the EU referendum so whilst the DFE I understand is pushing to um, to get the announcement out there of who they think the next um, chief inspector should be number 10 is uh, is refusing to, to give the green light to it which is quite interesting and that's all anyone's talking about inside the uh, education Westminster bubble indeed which consists of about five people but uh, four of them are in this room <laughs> yeah, indeed <laughs> <laughs> we're all talking to ourselves um, actually well, it sounds like a really good well not a good, good story for teachers but a, a good story uh, n- nonetheless if, if that's not too cynical um, John this week's cover feature is about daydreaming it's about the fact that at this time, especially, teachers are telling their students to focus and focus hard mm-hmm. on their exams. Sorry, what was that, John? Hey, <laughs> very good. Oh, you got you there. Um, but they, uh, there's new evidence from the neuroscience community that uh, an unfocused mind is as important as a focused mind. Uh-huh. So daydreaming, letting your mind wander, that sort of habit is good for you because let's say you're solving a multiplication problem and you and you know very well how to solve that multiplication problem. You have the brain patterns already built in. But then if you come to do learn something new, like division, if you haven't done division before, you would first try and solve it with your multiplication brain pattern. Sure. And that means that you get stuck, essentially. Um, and to find the right pattern, you need to come back, daydream a little bit into this default mode or diffuse mode, it's called, where essentially your brain finds the route to the new brain pattern. That's, I mean, it's, I wouldn't say it's well established, but I've read an awful lot about how some of the big discoveries in, in, in history have come through basically people idly daydreaming and thinking about and um, realising displacement theory absolutely Eureka Um, and Charles Darwin had a a thinking running track where he used to walk around the track that's right and so it's it's the Newton's apple and Newton's apple well yeah Newton's apple's a bit less (laughs) but certainly the the chap who invented um, or discovered rather graphene Mm. he was kind of daydreaming yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of these things that hasn't been explained, and I think it was too... Uh, I can't remember the exact date, but um, I think it was at Harvard, they, they proved that there was this default mode. So in, in the brain, there's a sort of pattern which you, your brain reverts to if you're not particularly concentrating. 
and they used to think it was like running your car in neutral it wasn't doing much mm. but now they've worked out that actually it's very important and that's how you, you make discoveries that's I don't think my life in academia has uh, proved this right yeah I was about to say when I daydream I daydream. Yeah. Yeah, I don't suddenly just have that kind of I moment. spent a lot of my time at school and university staring into space, and I don't think it helped me academically. But it's, that's the thing is they're very conscious in neuroscientists of saying that this isn't you abandoned focus. This is, sure. this is not, you know, you spend a 45-minute history lesson pondering the trees outside. It, it's you spend 30 minutes doing some hard focus, and then maybe you have a walk. Right. Or you play a bit of nice whale song. Oh, nice. A yeah. bit of Enya. A bit of Enya, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Everyone loves a bit of Enya. And then, and then apparently your learning gains would be quicker. And would that include computer games? Well, it depends how focused you are on the computer game, I guess. Um, yeah, you kind of need all your brain power oh, be so used. It's, it's, yeah. it's defocusing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's this Watching snooker might work. Well, it's it's a big thing for the the, the, <laughs> the meditation sort of those, yeah. those advocates for meditation in schools. I mean, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, it, it's, it's that sort of it feeds into it. Well, it doesn't give some science kudos to those theories, but it certainly leads into it. But isn't the fear, as always with any of these things, as you say, is you know, is a, a nice little idea. Suddenly, it's reduced down to you know. What's Carol Dweck's um, yeah, growth mindset, that kind of thing. So the I just just tell kids try hard and they'll it's, they'll do better. It's funny you mention that because on the twenty fourth of June, oh yes, we have a feature by Stephen Rose, who's a neuroscientist, who is explaining why. Well, it's, it's essentially explaining how education takes up these neuroscience fads and applies them without any sort of checking about how applicable they are to the classroom. Sure. And he argues that it's actually down to the neuroscience community to engage more with education research and find practical routes. So he's not blaming teachers, he's blaming the neuroscientists for not saying, by the way, here's the theory and this is how you apply it. Mm -hmm. At the moment, he says all they're doing is supplying a theory and letting teachers wander off with it. Run wild with it. Mm. Ah, Very interesting. Um, Okay, and do you have a, a sneaky cheeky peek for next week? Yes, we have. A that bit that of... rhymed, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I'd, I'd let my, I'd let my uh, brain drift off. Really <laughs> and what was your revelation from next week? <laughs> uh, we have a feature by Tom Bennett, the oh, yes. uh, behaviour czar on supplementary schools. Is he a czar or a guru? I, he's I both, think isn't he? He's both. Really? He's the government czar. But he's the TES's behaviour guru. Okay, and that obviously feeds into the uh, <laughs> feeds into the EU referendum debate slightly because a lot of the supplementary schools are from ethnic minority communities. Sure. Uh, so this is Tom Bennett going into um, I think is it a Polish school? Going to Polish school and a madrasa as well. Uh, How interesting! And it's it's. His conclusion is interesting because a lot of the press around supplementary schools is that they are this shadowy, uh, they have this shadowy existence that's unregulated and, and bad things happen there. And he said the vast majority are actually doing amazing work on very little resource that actually helps schools. And it's, it's like a hidden cog in the mainstream machine that's making these kids achieve. Next in next week's podcast, we can get our editor Anne Ross to come and talk to us about supplementary schools. She she's did. a proud graduate of Polish school, as she will tell you. And she threatened she's threatened to put her a picture of her at Polish school as her editorial picture. In the oh magazine. yes, you heard that here first. That's excellent. I think she's committed to that now. Yes, she is. <laughs> uh, 
That sounds really, really interesting. I look forward to that. Um, I'm going to... <laughs> I always look forward to it, of course. <laughs> you sound so surprised. I think Richard just saw me raising the moment. <laughs> Indeed. And wonder what I was doing here. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to quickly wrap it up there. Um, that just leaves me to say thank you to John, Ed and Ellie. Cheers. Thank you all for listening. As you'll notice, this was a weekly podcast. So there's a success there. Um, thanks very much. Catch you next time and goodbye.